so glad that you're here to kick off our new series today, our prophecy series. Uh, I love the graphic that Dustin came up with. We find things everywhere we can and use them prophecy, the end of the beginning. Some of you who may not be church people may not understand the graphic, and I'm not going to explain it to you yet. If you hang on with us to the end of the series, we'll get to the significance of that photo that we have on the screen for us. But uh, we really believe every week that we gather that God has something to say to us in every series. Last week, Pastor Chris did a fantastic job talking about our commitment to Christ and serving Christ. And most of you came down here and we prayed together. And that was a great segue into our series on prophecy on things to come. We sang that song a little bit ago about the night. I don't know, how many of you have ever felt like there were seasons in your life, and it might be now, it may have been a season ago, but there was a season in your life that was like night, and it just seemed, thank you, Chris, it seems that, uh, I'll take two, I'm a two-fisted drinker. All right, thank you. Can somebody buy me one of those, you know, caps that you have? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, You felt like that there's a period in your life now or previously where the night just seemed to go on and on and on. Would you raise your hand? You know, the night. A difficult period in your life, a dark time in your life when things just didn't seem to be getting better. And it could be a literal night. I mean, some of us who are getting older, some nights seem really long when you can't sleep. And you're tossing and turning and you're rolling over and you're looking at the clock and it just goes on and on forever. And sometimes life seems like that. We want to be real with our folks. We are, we are God's family here at Celebration. We're part of his family worldwide. And we want you to know, as pastors uh, of this wonderful congregation, we want you to know that we understand life is hard. It's hard for us. It's difficult. Just in the last few weeks, it's nothing compared to what a lot of you are going through, but some different things in my life. My dad's in a nursing home, and a couple of weeks ago, he fell again, and he broke his wrist, and he cut his eye open. And then a week after that, he got shingles on his face and his whole face went black here on the left side and he got MRSA in that. And then we were visiting them and my wife was with her mother and they were having a a great birthday party at a restaurant called the filling station. When I was explaining to the, uh, to the insurance people about the claim, the guy said, what did you did she park at a filling station and then go? And I, and I said, I don't really know. I'm confused myself. I'm going to call and find out. But the restaurant in Greensboro was called the filling station. While she was uh, filling herself in the filling station, uh, somebody backed into her car, just knocked the left fender off, didn't leave a note, a thank you, a how do you do, or happy Fourth of July, or anything, just went away. And uh, it seems like sometimes it, when it rains, it pours. I was on my roof because I was a little slack in blowing the leaves off my roof. Uh, in the fall, we've got trees everywhere. And uh, I was up there <laughs> with a rope in one hand, like a tow rope, holding on, fastened to the chimney. In the other hand, I le- had a leaf blower. And man, I'm going all over the whole roof, spraying off leaves in, in, the, in the valley, you know, where the two sections come together. There were so many leaves there, I was having to kick it and blow it at the same time. I wish somebody had videotaped that. We could have made a lot of money on that event. But right while I was doing all of that, I stepped in the valley and my, my shoe went right through the, the shingles. And you know the rain we've been having lately, right? And so we, we had showers of blessing in our home last week. 
And uh, one of our friends, one of our life group came over and he helped me patch it. And he, he was looking at the roof. And it just seems like sometimes the night goes on and on. And those are mild things compared to, like I say, what a lot of you are going through right now or have been through. Those are first world problems for sure. We know that. But this world is groaning. When we went through the book of Romans, we learned that the whole creation, the Bible says in, I think it's Romans chapter 8, the whole creation groans in travel. It's like birth pains, like a, la- like a lady in labor getting ready to give birth to a baby. That's the language that's used in the Bible about the, this period of time called the last days. By the way, we are in the last days. Since Jesus came to the earth, the scriptures refer to the time that we're living in as the last days. And the Bible says in this time, the whole creation groans and travails together, like giving birth pains. And it seems that everything's spinning out of control. Hurricanes and dis- disasters and uh, lava flows in Hawaii and volcanic eruptions. And just the whole world is groaning, the Bible says. And it's really almost like you and I, and the creation, and the creatures of creation, and the earth itself, and the sun, and the moon, and the stars, and we get these black holes in space, and things dying out there. The whole creation is groaning and travailing together, and it's almost as if that the whole creation is waiting and has an expectation that with the next next breath, the next beat of your heart, the next flicker of your eye, the next sound of an alarm, the next crunching of a leaf. We lie in in expectation that possibly before the next breath that Jesus Christ will come in the clouds and take us out of the night. Is that a great thought or what? I mean, yeah, you can clap. I mean, the, the, Jesus is coming. And so I want to say that in this next few weeks, we, we've got this series planned for seven weeks. You, you don't want to miss out. You want to be here. But in these next seven weeks, we're going to talk about some things that are a little uncomfortable at times. We're going to talk about some things that will wind us up and get us excited. And we're going to talk about some things that, whose, the timing of which We're not certain about. We know that Jesus said he will come again. We know he said he's going to judge everybody. He's going to judge the earth. We know he's going to melt it down and he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. We're not sure about a lot of the things in between and a lot of the timeline. Uh, Scriptures give us a hint, but not like a thorough, thorough explanation. So we're going to talk to you about some things that we know are going to happen And we're going to talk to you about some things that we think are going to happen. And the timing of all of it is not absolutely certain. So if you have your Bibles, I want to look at the key verse that we're going to look at for this series. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And I want you to memorize this. I want you, how many of you will say, Pastor Dennis, I'm really, maybe I'll stink at it. Maybe I'm a, a young student and it's easier for me. But how many of you will say, Pastor Dennis, I'm going to commit with you that during the series, I'm going to try to memorize, if nothing else, just 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Would you, would you give it a try? Raise your hand. I'm going to give it a try, okay? No guarantees. You know, we're not going to repossess your home if you don't do it. But I'm going to give it a try. One more time. Hands up. Everybody, all hands up. Okay, let's give it a try. 1 Peter 1, 13, it says this. Therefore, preparing your minds, preparing your minds for action. So we're not just sitting and waiting for Jesus to come. 
we're preparing our minds for action. We're going to be busy and engaged. Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope. This series is about hope. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So get your minds ready. Get your minds ready for action. Be sober-minded. That means be alert. Be ready. Be watching. Be listening. Be vigilant. Be alert. Because the world needs more alerts. Be alert because the world needs more alerts. Okay. Anyway, I thought I'd break up the, the tension just a little bit, but obviously I failed miserably. Okay, so be alert. The world needs more alerts. Be prepared and that the grace, set your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's what we know. Jesus came to this earth as a God-man, took on human flesh, became fully man, fully God. We can't understand all that mystery, but he did. He lived a perfect life, died a perfect death on a cross voluntarily for us. He was buried in a grave, and he rose again. And three days later, he, or three days, uh, he, he came out of the grave. And for 40 days, he walked on the earth. People saw him. Over 500 witnesses saw him. Eyewitnesses that knew him and knew that this was the same Jesus that they put in the grave and that he had conquered death and hell. And then he said, I'm going away. And he ascended into heaven right before their very eyes. They watched him go into heaven. And the angel said, why do you stand gazing? Their mouths were like wide open, like, holy cow, what just happened? And they, the angel said, why do you stand gazing in the heavens? This same Jesus who's taken up from you will so come in like manner as you've seen him go. Go, therefore, and tell everybody the gospel. So we know that Jesus is coming back, and we're going to be studying about that in this series. One of the places where we're going to hang out a bit is called the Olivet Discourse. It's where Jesus brought a sermon on the Mountain of Olives, called the Mount of Olives. And, and so if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. We're going to read the first few introductory verses to this main passage that we're going to be looking at, as well as many others in this series. So Matthew chapter 24, it's called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus taught these things on the Mount of Olives. And he says this, uh, it says this in chapter 24 of Matthew, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was going away. When his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, he answered them, you see these things? Do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And he sat on the, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? So he says, when's this temple going to be destroyed? What's going to be the sign of your coming? And what's going to be the sign of the end of the age? When is the end coming? What do we look for? How do we prepare? How do we know when the night is over? When will be the end of all things? Okay. When it will be the end of the age. Verse 4. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Now, so Jesus told his disciples, this was in the first century, in about 33 AD. He said, look, here's some things that are going to be happening in the end of the age, which we're in now. But he says... These are just a preparation. These are like the birth things of far greater things that, that are going to come. And we're going to look at those next week. We're going to begin reading in verse 7 next week about what's happening soon to this earth. 
What's it going to look like? Is it going to get darker before it gets lighter? We say oftentimes the best is yet to come. And that's true for believers. But if you don't know Jesus, oh man, the worst is still ahead by far. We, we're talking about that next week. So in this series, we're learning about prophecy. And here's a good way to remember, remember what prophecy is. Prophecy is history foretold. Prophecy is when God's servants, his prophets, they spoke as God spoke to their minds and hearts. And we got it recorded in scripture, the beginning of creation in Genesis, the beginning, the end of this creation and the beginning of the new creation in Revelation. So these are bookends, Genesis to Revelation, of prophecy. And I believe they're, they're, fu they're fully complete. I believe God's spoken. He's recorded the most important things that we need to know here, here in this book. But prophecy is history foretold. If you read the book of Daniel, it's a fascinating study, by the way. The main, main world empires, the Babylonian, the Greek, the Medo-Persian, and the Ro Roman empires were all predicted with pretty dramatic accuracy in the book of Daniel, 800 years before Jesus. All right? So we know that prophecy is history foretold, but history is prophecy fulfilled. As history unfolds, and we go through this nighttime on the earth, and we look forward to the daytime, it's happening just as God has said that it would. Prophecy is history foretold. History is prophecy fulfilled. So here's what we're going to look at over the next seven weeks. On July 1st, that's today, we're going to talk about the rapture. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Tribulation, next week. We're talking about the tribulation. When all hell breaks loose on the earth, who's going to be here? Who's not going to be here? What's it going to look like? It's going to be terrible. You don't want to be here for that. Second coming, July 15th, when Jesus literally comes down to the earth and sets up his kingdom and rules and reigns for a thousand years. We'll be talking about that in, in, in the third week. July 22nd, judgment. Do you know the Bible teaches that everybody's going to be judged? People who believe in Jesus, people who don't believe in Jesus, we're going to be judged according to the way we lived our life and what we did with Christ, and we're going to face judgment one day. That's going to be week four. July 29th, the reception. There's going to be a party to end all parties in heaven, and it's going to be the marriage feast of the Lamb. It's going to be all good for God's people, and that's going to be a party that you don't want to miss. We'll be talking about that on the 29th. August 5th, the new creation. When God comes, he melts down this creation. The very elements, Peter tells us, the very elements that make up all of creation will melt. And God starts again with a new heavens and a new earth. And then the last week is eternity. Here comes paradise. What's it going to look like in eternity? What are we going to do? What's heaven going to be like? And so please, please, please try to be here every week for this series. So when I was a teenager, I've told some of you this story before. But we used to love to play baseball. We'd have our World Series in, in backyards of our friends because we couldn't always get into town. This was before we had driver's license. And so we'd play in our backyards. And we didn't have big backyards. We had kind of small backyards. And there were fences. And so I was at my friend Julio's one time. Julio, if you're watching, hi, Julio. Uh, we were playing baseball with a tennis ball because we didn't have enough room for a full baseball. So we played tennis baseball. And we had our World Series. And we were the best in the world. We were absolutely convinced we were the best baseball players in the world. I'm sure of that. And uh, what we were playing, and we played all day, every day when we could. And it was getting to be dusk one day. And we were out playing baseball. I don't remember the details of it, but I'm sure that my team was winning. We are playing baseball with the tennis ball. We are having fun in Julio's backyard. And it was just about to get dark. <clears throat> and I looked up in the sky. And I saw this light. 
going across the horizon just like this, slowly. And in my mind, I was a Christian. I had been in church a long time, and I heard about Jesus coming back and that he, he, would, he would come in the clouds. And there was a few clouds around, and I saw this image of light coming across the sky. My heart started beating really fast. I, I got nervous, and I thought, oh, my, I, I got to go tell mom and dad Jesus is coming. I didn't understand the twinkling of an eye part yet, you know, okay, that it was going to happen in a millisecond. But I thought literally Jesus was coming, and I was ready, but I was a little nervous, and I started running home because it was like a quarter mile to my house from Julio's house, and I was running home, and I was watching Jesus come in the sky, and my heart was beating, and my heart was pumping. I was so excited, and then as I watched, I finally, as the image moved along, I could see it was the landing lights of an airplane, and I was disappointed, but I was a little relieved. I was a little nervous. And when you're talking about Jesus coming back, people do get nervous. I was sharing with an aunt of mine, my mom, and my mom likes to go to Bojangles in the morning and get a biscuit. So when I go there, I'll take her to Bojangles. We'll get a biscuit and she'll catch up on the latest gossip there. My mom's not a gossip, but she loves to hear it anyway. So we listen there. We sit in Bojangles. We drink a cup of coffee. And my aunt, she says, do you believe in eternal security? That once you're saved, you're always saved. I said, absolutely. And I shared some verses with her. It was so cool because people were listening in the store. Because I, I know you probably haven't noticed, but I'm not the quietest guy in the group. You know, I, my hearing is, uh, I'm acoustically challenged, you might say. And I t- tend to talk loud. And my wife or Pastor Chris or Pastor Brian, they're like, hey, Dennis, you need to dial it down a notch. You know? So I'm talking loud in Bojangles. And this African-American dude, he's hearing me talk about Jesus. And he, he's walking over the counter getting ready to pay. And he goes, yeah. Yeah, this is pretty exciting. But my aunt says, do you believe in eternal security? And I said, yeah. And she says, and she didn't know what I was preaching on. She said, you know what? Every time I hear about the rapture, I get scared to death. I get scared to death. And I started thinking, you know what? Like me as a, as a young, probably 14-year-old boy, when I saw Jesus coming, I kind of got a little scared. And maybe today as we talk about Jesus coming back, that, that's you. Maybe you're nervous. Maybe you're not sure you're ready to meet him. And if he would come and rapture out the church, that you'd be left behind for this horrible time that we're going to talk about next week that comes upon the earth. Well, if that's you, hang with us. Because we believe that if you receive Christ and you trust in him and you grow in him, that you can come to this place where it doesn't scare you anymore, it excites you. i got to tell you, man, I'm excited about Jesus coming back. This world is full of so much pain and suffering and heartache and death and so forth. I'm excited about him coming back. And so I want everybody to know about it. So would you, would you write this down? To, we're going to talk about a few different things about Jesus coming back. And it starts with this. Because Jesus can come at any minute, that's called the imminent return of Jesus. It doesn't mean he is going to come this minute. It means he can come at any minute. The imminent return of Jesus. Because Jesus can come at any minute, I embrace... First of all, I embrace a mysterious hope that delivers. I embrace a mysterious hope that delivers. I'll explain what I mean in a minute, but here's, I want to say this. The rapture is mysterious. It's one of those things in the Bible that's revealed, I think, but some people disagree with what what I'm going to say to you about the rapture. Everybody who really believes the Bible believes that Jesus is coming back. Some people believe he's going to come in two phases. 
like in the Old Testament when it talked about Jesus coming, a lot of people didn't see it was two phases. He was going to come and die for the sins of the world. Then he was going to come as king of kings and lord of lords. A lot of people missed that in the Old Testament. A lot of the Jewish scholars missed that in the Old Testament. But as, as scripture unfolded, this mystery became obvious that it was a twofold coming. Here's what I believe. I believe that Jesus' coming back is twofold. It's in two phases. The first, when he raptures the church out. That's what we're talking about this morning. And the second, when he comes back with the church to rule on the earth for a thousand years. But not everybody agrees with that. I want you to know that. But I believe that there's great biblical evidence for it. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So I believe that because Jesus can come at any minute, I'm going to embrace a mysterious hope that delivers. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be racing through a lot of scriptures. If you can kind of get there quickly... Go ahead, but don't be fiddling through trying to find it because it will be on the screen for you if you can't get there. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52 says this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We'll talk about what that means. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. So he says, I'm going to show you a mystery. Now, when the Bible talks about a mystery, here's what it means. You can write this definition down. The biblical definition of mystery is this, something previously unrevealed that now is being revealed. So that's a mystery. Something previously unrevealed that we didn't understand or know about that's now been revealed. That's a mystery. In the New Testament, there's 11 different mysteries. If you want a list, I'll be glad to give you one or email you one. Write me at Dennis at Celebration Live. I can tell you what those 11 mysteries are. But the rapture of the church is one of them where people didn't really see the two phases of Jesus' coming. Okay? But it has been around for a long time, this thought that Jesus can come imminently in any minute. But it is a mystery. But it says this, he's going to come. We should not all sleep. Now, sleep is a euphemism. It's a softer word for a stronger word. The stronger word is death. When a person dies, they look like they're asleep. So it's, we shall not all sleep or we shall not all die. In other words, we got a pretty much a 100% mortality rate on earth right now. But there's going to come an event where I believe millions of people will avert death and will be caught up to meet God in the sky. And this is what 1 Corinthians 15 Teaches, I believe, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's metamorphosed. There's going to be a fundamental change in everything about us. We'll be the same person, but we will be what you call glorified. We'll all be changed, verse 52, in a moment. And there's that twinkling of an eye part that I didn't understand as a teenager. In the twinkling of an eye, a millisecond, it's going to happen instantly. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we, be, we shall be changed. Because of the structure of our stage, I didn't know how I could pull it off. But I heard of one pastor who was preaching on the rapture and read this about the trumpet sounding, and then everybody snatched up. And he had a guy standing in the back of the church with a trumpet hidden. And when he was preaching in the message, in the middle of the message, he blows the trumpet. And everybody looks back, and the preacher goes into uh, behind the pulpit. He, he ducks down. And everybody's thinking, man, we all got left behind but the preacher, you know? <laughs> I heard about Bob Jones University uh, students. They, there was this one guy that everybody didn't like so much. I, I know there's nobody in your life that you don't like. But some people have people in their lives that they don't like. So there's this guy that was causing trouble, and he wasn't really living for Jesus, and he was at a Bible college, so they decided they were going to prank him. So they, they all communicated with each other except for him. 
And so they decided on such and such a date at such and such a time, first thing in the morning, that they were going to have the trumpet guy outside of the room, that everybody's going to turn all the showers on, have clothes laying everywhere, and blow the trumpet. And they did this on this poor guy, and he absolutely freaked out. Well, that, that could be you today when we talk about the rapture, the fact that it's going to happen any moment, the trumpet's going to sound, and a lot of people, in fact, most of the earth, it's going to be left behind. But every person, I believe, that every person who believes in Jesus Christ and that his death and burial and resurrection shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the sky. Now, I want you to look at another verse with me. In Revelation chapter 3, we read these words by the apostle John. John was one of the inner circle friends of Jesus. And he had this revelation, this vision that God gave him and God validated it because he put it in the scripture. Some people, I was talking to Dustin this week, he said, some people really believe that when John got this revelation, this vision, that he was tripping on acid or something. You know, he was like, he was having some kind of hallucination. But no, God spoke to his mind. He spoke to him and he, he gave him the book of Revelation, which tells about Jesus Christ and how he's coming back and what's going to happen. In chapter 3, verse 10, now in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, there's all this thing about the church. The churches on the earth, uh, he, he, he addresses seven different churches that are not existent today. They're all, they're, they all have ceased to exist. They went out of existence. And that can happen to any church when they stop following Jesus. But he writes letters to the seven churches. He's talking about churches. And then in chapter 3, verse 10, we, re we read this. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. So he says to the believers that whoever's on the earth when Jesus is coming, that there's this great event coming on this earth, this cataclysmic event that's going to come that's going to be the worst by far than anything the earth has ever seen. Worse than any world war, worse than any holocaust, where most of the world dies, they're killing themselves. And, but he says, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole earth. And that's the pattern in Scripture. You see, some people believe, as I said, some people believe that the church will go through the tribulation. I don't believe that because the Bible calls it a time of Jacob's trouble. It's a time when God brings the nation of Israel back to him. But if you think about the scriptural illustrations of great judgment that came on the earth when Noah, the flood came in Noah's day. Remember, he, he was building. Some people think, well, there, there wasn't fair, only eight people. But you know, Noah preached 120 years. He told about Jesus coming to judge the earth. And he gave the invitation for 120 years. And only his family ended up in the book. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. Eight people on the ark that was big enough for thousands and thousands of people. But he preached for 120 years. And when God brought judgment on the earth, God lifted Noah and his family, the believers, he lifted them out of the storm, above the storm, to safety. A picture, I think, of the rapture. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? They had become morally bankrupt, and everything was bad about this place, and there was no knowledge of God, and there was no moral compass anymore, and this, this place fell apart, and God said, I'm going to wipe it out. And remember, there was this pleading by Abraham. Lord, if there's 50 people that, that believe in you, will you save it? And God said, okay, I will. 
Couldn't find 50. 45, 40, 35, 30. And he couldn't even find 20 righteous people in town. And God says, I'm wiping it out. And remember Lot's wife? You know, she looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt. Dude, I don't know exactly what happened there. Some fire and brimstone event. But, she's, but God and his angels took Lot, who was looking forward, and, and he delivered him out of that judgment. The pattern always in Scripture is God. He, he, that doesn't mean we don't have trials. That doesn't mean that Christians don't go through trials. We certainly do. But every major cataclysmic event on the earth, God has delivered his people from them. And I believe that's what he's talking about in Revelation 3. Now look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God has not destined us. He's talking to a church. He's writing to a church in a town that still exists today, Thessaloniki. He's writing to these believers in this town in Europe. And he says, he says, God has not destined us, the church, for wrath that's coming on the earth, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he said, there's, there's a terrible time of wrath coming on the earth, but God has not destined the church for that. Our destiny is different. And then Revelation chapter 4. So God had been speaking in the first few chapters of Revelation about the church, and he's talking to churches and addressing them. But look what happens in chapter 4 of Revelation, verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. Now, there's that trumpet again. We read about that a while ago. This, this voice speaking like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I shall show you what must shortly take taking place so this is John not tripping on acid but he's tripping on Jesus and and he, God calls him up and so the invitation is for John to come up but interestingly enough after that invitation for John to come up and he continues writing the book of Revelation and he talks about all the plagues and the, the vials and the trumpets and all the judgments that have come upon the earth the church is never mentioned again until Revelation chapter 19 and in Revelation chapter 19 we see the church, after all these judgments, coming back with Jesus to the earth. So I believe, not everybody agrees with me, but I believe and I think it's biblically founded that the church is taken out before this tribulation period comes on the earth like the earth has never seen. This time of judgment comes out. So the church is not mentioned again until Revelation 19. So because Jesus can come at any minute, I believe in a mysterious hope that delivers. Secondly, because Jesus can come in any minute, I embrace an encouraging and a calming hope. I was talking to a family member yesterday, and this family member, like all of my family, and like all of your family, stresses sometimes, feels stressed. And some periods in your life, it seems like everything in the world stresses you. Finances, uh, the economy, uh, the political climate. Everything is stressful. And we live in a stressful world. Well, this person said to me, I I'm just stressing about everything right now. Well, here's what I believe. I believe if we believe in Jesus and that he loves us and died for us and was rose again, he's coming back for us, and he can come at any minute, that is encouraging and calming to me. I don't necessarily have to drug myself up and drink myself to sleep. Because I am encouraged and calmed by what God says in his word. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I do this at every funeral when I speak and I do the interment part where you commit the body to the ground. I read this passage. It says this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed. The old King James says ignorant. We don't want you to be ignorant. 
we don't want you to be uninformed, but brothers, about those who are asleep or those who've died. Because these people were freaking out like they'd heard Jesus come, come back, but grandma and grandpa were already in the grave. And they're like, what happened to them? What's going to happen to them? Are they going to miss this thing called the rapture? So he says, I don't want you to be uninformed about those who have died, that you may grieve, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. By the way, Christians grieve when we lose a loved one. But we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We don't weep and wail for days on end. We, we're grieving for years. But we grieve with hope. And it says, we don't have to grieve as others who have no hope. Look at verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians 4. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who've fallen asleep. Those who are in the grave, he's bringing out of the grave. We'll talk about that in just a second. For this we declare to you, verse 15, by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive and left unto the coming of the Lord for the rapture, I believe is what he's referring to, will not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. Jesus takes the wheel. With the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, those who are in the grave, those family members of yours who've died and trusted Jesus, whether it was at the last minute or early in their life, if they trusted and cried out to Jesus in their life, that God's going to bring them up from the grave and bring them alive. For he will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of command, with the archangel, the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. It's not encouraging to think that we might go through the seven worst years of human history called the tribulation. That would not be encouraging words. But the thought that Jesus is going to lift us out, he's going to take us out, he's going to snatch us out at that time. Now, there's a couple things I want to point out to you from this passage. It says, so I'm confused because people ask me all the time, what happens when we die? What happens? My loved one just went into the grave, so where are they now? Well, here's what the, I think the Bible teaches clearly, and we're going to address it as it relates to this passage in 1 Thessalonians just a second. Here's the deal. The Bible says for the Christian, for the person who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, to be absent from the body, some of you know the answer to this, tell me, is to be what? Present with the Lord. Those of you who are visiting, this is, this is a big deal. This is a, a revelation. This is a mystery that's been revealed. The person who dies in Christ, the moment that they pass away, the moment that their spirit leaves their body, that's called physical death, they immediately are in the presence of Jesus. Well, what does he mean here in 1 Thessalonians then? The dead in Christ shall rise first. Here's what I know that it means, and so something I'm not absolutely sure about. I know that it means that they're going to get new glorified bodies. Remember Jesus when he died and buried and went to the grave? When he rose again, he had a glorified body. He could walk through walls. He didn't do that before his death and burial and resurrection. But when he got a glorified body, he could be in one place one second and be over there the next second and walk through doors without opening the door. I think we're going to have something like that ultimately. So then the question is then, so the people that have died before us and passed on, are they disembodied spirits in heaven now until this resurrection of the dead in Christ at the rapture? I don't know for sure, I have to say, but I'm pretty sure that the answer is no. 
I believe that they, at the best, have some sort of body, some sort of temporary body, because he made us to be physical flesh and blood people. When Jesus raised from the dead, he was a flesh and blood person. He was different. So maybe at this resurrection of the dead, at the rapture, maybe they, they receive their final glorified body, the new and improved version. I don't know. But we find that when, when heaven is opened at times and people look into heaven, like when Stephen was stoned, the first martyr, and he was looking up into heaven, and he saw Jesus physically there in a, in a body. Uh, at the transfiguration, people who had died, who believed in God in the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah, they showed up. And they recognized them. They knew these were physical people. So we are going to be physical, spiritual, and physical people through all of eternity. How exactly God does it and how he transforms our bodies from one stage to another, I don't know. But it says this, that you don't have to worry about those who've gone before you. If, if, if the rapture comes in your lifetime, they're going to beat you there. They're going to come up first. And then you're like, hey, there's grandma and grandpa. Hold on, wait for me. And I'm, I'm coming. I'm right behind you. Hold on, Elizabeth. I'm coming to join you, honey. Thank you for laughing. It makes me feel better. <laughs> when it just dies, it's like, oh, my goodness. Okay, so anyway, it, it's going to be a fascinating time. And all those who've gone before us who've been with Jesus already are going to have glorified bodies, and so are we. It's going to be wonderful. And so he says then uh, that they're going to be caught up in verse 17. Those who are alive and left will be caught up. And this is where we get the idea of rapture. Rapture does not appear, or any form of it, or transliteration of it, in the Greek Bible. That's from the Latin, rapir, which means to snatch away. It means to, to be in a place of ecstasy. Sometimes you hear in like romance novels, things like that, the person was enraptured with love, and there's this sense of ecstasy. Okay, that's the idea of the Latin word. But the Greek word is uh, harpazo, which means to be snatched up. So to me, I believe the Bible teaches clearly in a time before Jesus comes down to the earth when he gathers all his Christians, the church, and he snatches them away. He takes them into heaven. We're going to talk about what's going to happen there. We're going to talk about the marriage feast of the, land, of the Lamb later in the series. But I believe that we can expect him at any moment. And all the prophecies like about the whole world hearing and all that, well, how does that come into play then if Jesus could come at any moment? you got to come back next week to hear about that. All right? So come back, and we'll, we'll talk about those questions that still need to be answered. So we're going to be carried off. We're going to be carried away. We're going to be snatched away, I believe. In John chapter 14, so we're talking about an encouraging and calming hope. In John chapter 14, we read these words. These are the words of Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled. That is anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Don't fall apart. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. Some translations say mansions, but the idea is dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, listen, when you look around, the night is here. This is nighttime. This is nasty. It's painful. It's going to get worse. You don't want to be there for that. 
But even now it's nasty. But he says, and, and remember, most of the apostles died martyrs' deaths for Jesus. But he said, don't be troubled. Don't be anxious. Don't fall apart. Because I said, I'm coming back. But he says, I'm going away, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, how, here, here's what I believe. Some of you disagree with this, too. That the earth was made in six literal days. There's no scientific, real, true, hard evidence to prove otherwise, and nobody was here but God. God said he did it in six days. Some people think that's long periods of time. I believe it was six literal days. You can believe whatever you want, but however long it says, it says six days, make it periods or whatever. But he made all of creation, I believe, in six days. He's been 2,000 years preparing heaven. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? You don't want to miss it. 2,000 years in construction. I, I, you know, Liberty University is like the largest Christian university in the world now. When I went there, there was nothing there but a farm and mud. Barns. Okay? But Jerry Falwell was the greatest visionary, and he was a great fundraiser. And I believe that's why God called him to heaven, because... God needed somebody to fundraise and build the heavenly city. And Jerry's been up there for now a few years helping in heaven. I don't know. That's my theory. All right. 2,000 years he's been preparing this place. So because Jesus can come in any minute, I, I embrace a mysterious hope that delivers, snatches me out, an encouraging and calming hope. No matter what happens, I don't have to be afraid. And then a blessed hope. That's an old English word. It means happy. So a happy hope. I'm going to embrace a happy hope, a blessed hope. Titus 2, 13 and 14. Waiting for the blessed hope, that means happy, happy hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The Bible refers to the rapture of Jesus. Jesus is coming back in two phases, the rapture and the second coming to the earth. As our blessed hope. Our happy hope. And then a purifying hope. Because Jesus can come back at any moment. I'm going to embrace a purifying hope. In other words, I'm going to live like Pastor Chris talked about last week. I'm going to live for Jesus today. I'm going to live a pure, holy life. I'm not going to be perfect. But I'm going to commit myself to Jesus. Because he could come today. And I don't want to be ashamed when he comes. Of what I'm doing. It's a purifying hope. 1 John chapter 3. Verses 1 through 3. I see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. That's so awesome. Yeah. If you come to know Jesus, you're a child of God. You're a child of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are children. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. We don't understand it all yet. Still a mystery, some of it. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we, see, we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he's pure. If you really believe that Jesus could come at any moment, you want to be living for him. What, what were you doing last night, 11 o'clock? What were you watching? Where were you hanging out? How were you living? How were you, what were you thinking about? The Bible says that if we truly believe Jesus come back any moment, it's going to purify us. It's going to challenge us to live for him. And then 
I, because Jesus could come at any moment, I will embrace a patient and watchful hope. James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore. He's coming. It's been 2,000 years. And just like in the days of Noah, they saw all that crazy old man has been preaching for 120 years. The flood's never coming, but it did. Just like Sodom and Gomorrah, they didn't believe that judgment was coming, but it did. Just like they didn't believe that Jesus was going to come the first time, but he did. He will come again. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and latter rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It can happen any minute. Mark chapter 13, verse 35 says this. Therefore, stay awake. It means be watchful, be alert. Stay awake. Be alert, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows, or you might say when the alarm goes off. Same idea. Or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, I say to all, stay awake. Be watchful. This was a, a, a momentous week for me and my family because our fourth child has been in Colorado, and she was coming by bus home. She had a problem with the ear, and so couldn't fly, so on a bus. Forty-some hours on the bus. But the first leg of the trip was delayed. And so guess what? We missed a connection here. Supposed to come in at 1140 on Friday. Next thought, three in the morning. Missed the next connection, five in the morning. So I go to bed about midnight. I'm watchful. It says, be watchful. Be alert. Set your alarm. I set my alarm to watch out. And I looked at, at my text, and I said, it said, another delay. I'm here in Atlanta now. It's 2 a.m., but we won't, there's not another bus going to Charlotte till 2 p.m. And then it's going to take another six or eight hours. I said, stay put. I'm coming to get you. I drove down to Atlanta 3 o'clock in the morning, drove back down, down to Atlanta and back yesterday. So guess who's going to take a nap this afternoon? <laughs> Put the golf on, just chill back and snooze and every now and then open one eye and look. I was vigilant because somebody was coming and I was expecting this person and wanted to be with this person. And I was vigilant. When, when you love Jesus, you're not going to just keep one eye open. You're going to be expecting him, hopefully, all the time. And then finally, a shameless hope. Because Jesus can come at any moment, I'm going to embrace a shameless hope. 1 John 2.28 says this. Now, little children, abide in him. That means remain. Stay put. Be steady. Be rock solid in your commitment, like Pastor Chris talked about last week. And many of you came forward last week and said, I'm going to commit to Jesus. I'm going to raise my family, God. Be rock solid. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame as he comes. When I was a young boy playing baseball, I didn't understand all about the rapture, but I knew I had Jesus. I knew I'd go to be with him, but I was still a little bit nervous. I don't, think he, I don't think I would have been ashamed because I was playing baseball. Unless I struck out and then 
kind of a lot of shame in that for me. But I usually did anyway. What, what are you going to be doing when Jesus comes? Is it something that were he to come this moment that you would be ashamed of? This is shameless hope. If he comes today while you're playing baseball or while you're working or while you're watching television or while you're thinking about so-and-so, will you be caught unaware? As a next step this week, would you write this down? Resting on God's, on past grace. That says Jesus died and was buried and rose again for me. And I'm trusting that. Resting on past grace, I hope confidently in future grace. I'm going to be vigilant. I'm going to be awake. I'm going to be pure. I'm going to wait. I'm going to listen. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to watch for him. Resting on past grace, I hope confidently in future grace. Would you pray with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed for a minute. When I started talking about the rapture, some of your heart, some of your pulse picked up a little bit. You got a little nervous. Maybe your blood pressure raised just a little bit because you weren't absolutely positively sure that if Jesus did come, you'd be ready. And consequently, the thought of Jesus' coming strikes fear in your heart. Listen, you can be ready by faith in Christ. You don't, you're not, it's not up to you. Do I believe in eternal security? Yeah. It's not up to you to save yourself or keep yourself saved. It's up to a God who's way bigger than you. And if the rapture scares the bejeebies out of you, maybe, just maybe, you're not ready. Is there anybody listening to this message this morning, either here or in your car at home? Wherever you are, just raise your hand and say, I'm not really sure that I'm ready. I'm a little bit nervous. Would you pray for me? Anybody like that in the building today? Like that at home? I'm not really sure. Yes, thank you. Is there another one? I'm not really sure. I'm a little bit nervous. The Bible says, He that believes in the Son has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, for he's passed already from death into life. You've already crossed over. It's not when you, when, when you die one day, you're going to get over into God's side. The moment you trust Jesus, you've already crossed over from death into life. If you're not sure, would you just cry out to him right where you are right now, silently in your heart. Dear God, I cry out to you. I want to be ready when you come. Lord, I want to be looking for you. And right now, I receive Jesus Christ. I ask you to come into my life and forgive me my sin. Give me the gift of eternal life. And Lord, I'm going to spend the rest of my life looking for you. Christians, you know there's some things in your life that need to be changed before Jesus comes. Would you surrender them to him now? I'm going to ask our first impressions team, which we now call our care team, as we pray to make their way to the exits. And if some of you want to talk to them about your eternal destiny, talk to them, counsel with you, pray with you, there'll be people to meet you, take you back in a room where you can get your questions answered as best as we can. Would you do what God's asking you to do as we sing in just a minute? Lord God, we pray that today that we would do what we'll be glad we have done when Jesus comes. And we pray in his name. Amen. Would you stand with us and sing together? Uh, Care team, make your way to the door. If you have a need, go right now. Go talk to them. We're going to sing. Make your way. Somebody will pray with you. Somebody will try to answer your questions as we sing. Go now.